And welcome back to the Conservative Atheist Podcast. I'm your host, the Conservative Atheist, and I'm joined by my co-host and producer. Fred Erlater. Hey, guys. And today we're still talking about Townsend. Uh, we're talking about Port Townsend, Washington, and the the whole incident that happened with the so-called transgender person, the man dressed in a female bathing suit, in a women's shower room and locker room. And uh, there was an 80-year-old woman uh, by the name of Julie Jamon, and she asked this man to leave, and instead they kicked her out instead and called the police. Uh, so we had an interview with her, and now we're going to have an interview with another person that was witnessed that witnessed the the uh, the screaming and the screeching of of the of uh, the uh, you know protesters at one of the speaking events, and the lack of uh, the lack of protection from the police, unfortunately. Um, I, I personally, I think I think Chief Olson should be thrown out of office, and I think that the uh, I think the city manager should be thrown out of office, and I think the mayor should be voted out of office. I, I just don't think that the, the city government from Port Townsend is is worth a hill of beans. So with that being said, I'm going to introduce Candace Mercer. Candace Mercer, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on. So how did you find out that this whole um, rally was going to happen that you attended? Uh, through feminist Twitter, just kind of being connected. I had heard about the story and I'm in Olympia, Washington. So it's only you know less than a couple hundred miles away. So I followed it with a little closer interest than normal. And in following it to report on it, um, I got connected with uh, Amy Sosa and uh, basically Amy did the organizing and I did a poster for her initially. And as it got closer to the event, I could see that how well organized the group was and how serious they were taking about taking this. And so I arranged for transportation up so that I could both speak and report on the event. Okay. Okay. And uh, so you were one of the speakers. I'd, I'd, re I'd read your, uh, I believe it was your speech that you spoke at the event. Uh, so I read that and I read another article about a situation that happened where you were attacked and, and, uh, and uh, Tiny, and I, I'm actually familiar with Tiny, and Tiny was shot um, at that event, or not at the event, but in, in relation to that event. Um, yeah, it was, that, a, was, that was in Olympia, Washington, correct? Yes, yes. When uh, Tiny Tusitalatosi was shot on September 4th. Yeah, yeah, he's a he's a he's he's usually a pretty nonviolent guy, but uh, he'll definitely stand up if he's if he's challenged. And apparently, they they decide to shoot him instead of uh, instead of fighting him. He's a big guy. He's he's, he's probably close to my size. He's a pretty good sized guy. So, yeah. Um, so I met him since, and he is a good guy. Yeah, he's a really nice guy. Um. So okay. So you showed up. You you were there any protesters out there when you first showed up when you first arrived? Well, we got there very early in the afternoon to scout the location, to check in with the police department. The person I traveled with was actually the police liaison. And Amy had prepared, um, she did discuss in the pre-event briefing some security measures and how we, we should respond. Uh, we didn't have a formal plan like you know this person's here that person's there etc 
we when we got there for the event and we're setting up for the event we saw a large line oh probably 100 150 people across the street at city hall but they were pretty low-key they had signs they were orderly they they weren't really paying much attention to us a few of them wandered over but it was very low-key there was no indication it was going to turn into what it did at that time. Right, right. Yeah, and I noticed that there was at least eight police officers from Port Townsend, eight or nine. And then I noticed that uh, there was other police officers that looked like in different uniforms, maybe county sheriffs or, or state police, I'm not sure. But, you know, they, they didn't have a whole lot of police, but I don't understand why that they didn't cordon off a, a uh, perimeter to where they could separate the two groups by at least, you know, maybe 10 feet or 12 feet. I, I don't think it would have been that difficult to do. And for some I, reason, they, they just didn't do it. I honestly think they were caught off guard. Um, you know, I followed political violence in the Pacific Northwest for the past four or five years now. And I thought, given the, myself, given the geographic location, that it would probably be fairly low key that there would be protesting, but there wouldn't necessarily be violence. Um, and I think the Port Townsend police had never really had uh, something like this happen. So they didn't quite understand what to do. They didn't have the backup. I know one witness uh, said that she saw the backup, the, the state patrol or the county sheriff, I forget which, like roaring into town, like hauling butt around 6, 6 p.m., so about halfway into the event, the backup was arriving. Right. Yeah. So, well, the, you know, I, I know I saw the one video. I saw I watched several um, of the um, oh, police cameras, you know, the, 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 uh, the uniform cameras that they wear. Yes. And, and uh, one of them, the, actually a couple of them, but one of them in particular, uh, the, one of the police officers, somebody came up and said, hey, listen, there's, there's actually a couple of people came up and said, hey, listen, these people are attacking old women. They're trying to knock them down. They're, they're pushing them. There's all sorts of violence going on. It's going to get pretty bad. Can you at least come over there and stand or something? And the police officer, and they're just, you know, just standing around relaxing. And one of the police officers said, hey, listen, my advice is that if you don't feel safe, leave. Yeah, that's, um, wow. That When you hear a statement like that, or in my case in Olympia, the police uh, uh, lieutenant directly told me, be prepared to protect yourself. When you hear those statements from the people who are supposed to protect you, it's a very, very black pill. And that's when you know you're on your own. And, you know, women, I, I'm from the left. My leftist friends are buying guns to the point where we joke about we have a gun warming party for them. Well, let um, me ask you this. All, <laughs> all of this violence coming from the left, does it, does it make you rethink your positions? Well, I, I definitely have red-pilled over, really, since probably about 2017. I was a far-left progressive activist, uh, about as far-left as you could be. I worked for a decade in Palestinian solidarity with the Cory Foundation. Um, but increasingly, I saw the left veering off in ways that didn't support my values or the values that I had actually been taught by evergreen anti-oppression training, for example, like 
you know, when you dehumanize another human, you are actually dehumanizing yourself more than them. And so those types of lessons I carried over. And when you saw something in Port Townsend, like the attack we were under from these people, how far they have strayed from what used to be, you know, the classic leftist values. And I've, I have found a home on the right. I consider myself an Indian nonpartisan at this point. Uh, but the right, I'm, I'm proud to say a weed smoking pro-choice atheist who wrote for Electronic Inafada. I got two Republican endorsements when I ran for council last year. So who is the party of tolerance right now? Who I'll tell is- you, the, the, those people, I, I saw the looks on their faces and what they were doing. Those people meant to harm you. They, there was a very thin line separating them from, from, from losing it, you know, and that's what happened in Olympia. The one got scared and he shot tiny there, the rage in their eyes. I, I've never myself been the brunt of a target of a rage like that. And, um, it was scary, but there was no time to be scared. Like we we had to protect ourselves. You know, we tried forming lines around the perimeter of the mic. The, the amplifier was uh, the contested target zone. So we put our bodies around the, um, the amplifier. You know, that's where a lot of the struggling and scuffling took place was trying to keep the amplifier plugged in, the mic standing and the camera recording. Well, the ridiculous part was, is that the police said, uh, when somebody complained and said, hey, you know, we're over here, we need help. Can't you do anything about these people? And he said, he said, well, you know, it's an open park. It's, you know, everybody has the free right to be there. Uh, No, your group had a permit. The other group was just simply causing chaos. They did not have a permit. You had the permit. You had the right to be there. The other group did not have the right to infringe on your right to be there. So you weren't you were not on equal footing, not legally. That's for damn sure. And and the the police are just a hundred percent wrong. And I think I feel like they shirk their duties, and they should be ashamed. They really should be ashamed. They should turn in their badges. Uh, it was I, ridiculous. It was a failure on their part. It was very poor policing, and it it really is hard to understand. There there was a, a candidate for Congress there, right? Um, and I, yeah, spoke. and and she she went to talk to them and. And, you know, that that is political intimidation when you're you're intimidating candidates in that manner. That's a little part of it that's kind of getting lost in the bigger picture. But but they definitely intimidate candidates. Um, When I was running and trying to recruit people to run with me, one of the number one reasons they gave they didn't want to run is they feared. Um, the harassment they would get, you know, that their family would get or their business would get. And that kept them from running. So it's a, it's a very quiet story that nobody's telling, but it's happening. And I hate to give them credit on that, but they're keeping good people out of office. Well, I know that uh, they, the police were following around. There was at least four Antifa members and they were dressed all in black with their faces covered. And the police were following them around and the police were talking to each other. And they said, you know, I see a, I see a police baton in his, in his pack, pocket. I see, I see what looks like a knife. 
The one kid looked like he had a gun on him. Uh, and I looked up the laws in, in Washington State, and to, in Washington State, you have to have a gun permit for a concealed carry license. So why they wouldn't, why that wouldn't be a probable cause to pull pull them aside and frisk them and disarm them from their weapons? I, I truly have no idea. Um, I think again, inexperience, um, inexperience. They're they're not trained in this. They're not used to it. They, you know, we were lucky in some ways in that the violence, uh, as difficult as it was, it wasn't like as bad as it can get. You know, nothing was thrown at us. Um, no projectiles, no explosive devices. Right. No, no feces or urine. <laughs> yeah, it could have been worse. That's for sure. Could have been yeah. worse. Um but I, I have concerns. There's another rally on the third, and this one is more being led by the conservatives. And I I could see the scenario being more violent in that way with the with with them. Well, you know, I hate to say it, but sometimes you have to meet violence with violence. You know, we, we didn't we didn't defeat Adolf Hitler with words. Yes, and you know, I uh, I consider myself a pacifist and a nonviolent person. But when your opponents, that is the tool they're using. The only way to stop them is to respond in kind. And I have seen, though, however, like in Olympia, for example, um, just the Proud Boys showing up an event, you know, and the other Patriot. Patriot right. guys showing an event, it will have a deterrent effect. Oh, they yeah. will they will see the numbers and they will stay away or they won't even bother gathering because they know they know that they can't take on the group. And so just the threat of violence, I, I guess that's how I'm squaring the circle with my nonviolent beliefs. Right. Is, is that that threat where not violence is not used, but it's on the table. Quite, quite often, quite often, the way you the way you stop somebody from committing violence against you is to let them know that they're going to have a fight on their hands. Yes, yes, because they definitely go after weak targets in general. Um, you know, they they don't fight fair. They don't fight by gentlemen's rules of fighting, if you want to call it that. Right. Um, they fight dirty. And I think I don't I think one thing for me in dealing with them over over time as I've had to deal with them is I never want that, you know, to sink to their level or do anything I regret or have, you know, concerns over my contact conduct in the situation so i i tend to meet them you know i'm a disabled 59 year old woman i don't have a gun i'm not trained in self-defense so i all i have is my words um you know my presence uh i mock them a little bit and just being resolutely defiant against them that you will not intimidate me when I ran for office, I used my home address and my home phone number because, you know, I'm not scared of you. You're not going to scare me. And who, not... who, is, 
who is the uh, I don't mean to interrupt you, but who is the oh, guy that no. kept calling you and kept sending you messages and threatening you? Well, the the main person who was the leader, if you will, and that would be a contested term amongst the Antifa themselves. But the instigator was Miguel Laughlin. Right. And he um, he is no longer in Olympia. He's down in Portland now. He had to leave town. He claims because the Proud Boys scared him away. But the word on the street is that after the shooting, uh, he uh, tattled on some of the people involved. He was an informant. And that Antifa, the other members, beat him up and said, hey, you know, leave town. So... There's, there's conflicting reports, but he's no longer here. And luckily, it's been very quiet in Olympia. We have not had much activity after the shooting because the, the sunshine that it put on it and the legal pressure and the pressure from the Proud Boys, they all kind of converged and set them into paranoia where they turned on each other, couldn't trust each other demoralized, had to break up because they didn't want to, you know, get caught in the dragnet of law enforcement. Right. So it, it was a good thing in the end. Um, not a good thing for the residents of Olympia, not a good thing for Tiny, but a good thing in the end that we're not having to deal with them. Now, did you, did, uh, were you harmed at all during the, during the rally in, uh, in Port Townsend? No, I wasn't. Um, I wasn't. There is reports. Uh, one woman had an ankle, like a sprained ankle or strained ankle. I know Jennifer Thomas had several minor injuries that she's kind of been nursing. Uh, she was the woman in the yellow jacket who took the brunt of a lot of the attacks. Right. Um, some of the women had a little bit of, of post-traumatic stress reaction that reminded them of other violence in their live lives. Um, I had an odd reaction. I should have been scared, but I didn't feel scared for a couple reasons. One, we were working very well together. We had about five male allies with us and they were doing a lot of the heavy lifting with blocking, etc. And as a group, we were working very well together like just using eye contact, hand gestures, you know, chin nods, we all seem to kind of be in the right place and know what to do. Um, I also felt some sense of protection because Robert Zerfing was there, the common sense conservative, he was filming and he's a big guy. And so I tried to stay a little close to him as well. Um, is, he, is he kind of a tall, thin guy? Looks kind of like a basketball player a little bit, has a beard. He has a bit of a beard. He's very yeah. tall. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I, yeah think, he, I think I know. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. He stands out and he was the only one. Well, I think maybe one other person was streaming and then the press conference was being recorded live or, you know, broadcast live, I think on Twitter. I'm not sure how she, where she did it, but um, I had, I've known Robert for a while 
and been in a lot of events with Robert. So I had comfort that he was there. Not only was he experienced in the dynamics and you know knew what to watch for, et cetera, I knew he would get footage of anything that happened because he knows how to follow the action. Um, now, how, how did how did things end up wrapping up? Like, how did you get out of there without any problems? It looked like looked like you were escorted out. Um, yeah, at one point after we all spoke, the cops did come over. This was after the arrest, and they kind of formed a little bit of a blocking line, and it was like, okay, go now. And they got us into the parking lot, but then we were kind of a little bit left on our own devices, and wow. some of the women felt they were followed. Um, the license plates were taken. So I think that was a flaw in our plan. We could have had a better uh, escape strategy set up. We, right. did, we, we had a tactical error there. We made one good uh, call, though, which was being up against the wall. If we had not been up against that wall, we would have been surrounded on all three, you know, 360, and that wouldn't have been good. No, it wouldn't have been. It wouldn't, wasn't good the way it was, but if you hadn't have been ahead that wall to, you know, to at least protect your back, it would have been real bad. Yeah. yeah. The, I'm, the, brighter, brighter later, do you want to ask a question? Yeah, I was going to say, uh, uh, from your kind of, uh, I guess, description of this, one of the things I'm wondering, uh, do you think if this protest happened at uh, Olympia, do you think you would have, uh, I guess, do you think the cops would have uh, uh, been off guard or whatever you said about them? Do you think it would it went a little bit more rurally and if they saw them uh, starting to intimidate the, the permit goers that they would have confronted them more and, I guess, just handled this more aptly? No. Okay. Because... Um... They've taken a very hands-on or hands-off approach to the clashes, not just with the, the event I had where, where Tiny was shot. I called them and said, 3 p.m., Antifa versus the Proud Boys at City Hall, which is where police headquarters is, uh, 3 o'clock Saturday. And... Three o'clock Saturday, there were no officers there. They might have been watching on surveillance, but there were no officers present. Uh, we had other shootings and shots being fired, and they don't intervene. And I'm not sure exactly why. Partly, our council voted in 2020 to remove one of their main crowd control weapons, you know, remove chemical dispersants from their their tool kit of... Wow. Uh, dispersing mobs like this. Right. So that definitely puts them at a defensive disadvantage. And I I can only surmise that there's not any real winning reason for them to get involved. They've always had, I've seen their standard operational protocol on protests in general, which is to keep a hands-off distance, just make sure like the roads are closed for the people, et cetera, um, and just try to not intervene unless there's injury to limb. But we've, right outside City Hall, a man named Eddie Hefner, he was beaten with a metal bar across his head and face so bad that his, his gums detached from his teeth. And the police were watching. They watched it happen. Yeah, it sounds like the police in Washington really are police. They're, they're, they're collecting the check, but they're not doing the job. They're, 
I don't think they're doing it as effectively as they could or should. Um, I mean, we, yeah, I mean, we were having melees on the street almost weekly there for a while. It, it really was getting out of hand. Yeah. Yeah, it's disturbing. It sounds, it sounds like it's just a complete anarchy in, the, in those small towns. Like the towns, the t the police are afraid, so they just let whatever happens happens, and they're more interested in protecting themselves than protecting the citizens. Well, and we're also in Olympia and across the Pacific Northwest, we're facing a exponential rise in crime, and not just crime, but violent crime uh, in Olympia of armed robberies, uh, muggings, uh, carjackings. This stuff is happening daily now, where it used to be like some an armed robbery would be like, oh my God, wow, whoa. Now it's just normalized, um, you know, in part due to the homeless addiction crisis. It's like it spiraled out of control. Like our city is a dystopia. Unfortunately, I think most cities are becoming a dystopia. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, small and large. It's it's it was hard to watch it happen in real time. It really was hard to watch. That's why I ran for council. I there is such a lack of leadership in Olympia and in these other cities, and I think the tide is turning a little bit. Um, but not fast enough. But of course, urgency is a well-known concept of white supremacy. So we, we can't attack these problems with urgency or we'll be white supremacists. Right. Yeah, I, I don't know how white supremacy factors in, to be honest with you. I, I'm almost 52 years old and I've lived in different parts of the country. I've lived in the South. And I've lived all over the place. And I have to tell you, I've never, I've heard of white supremacists. I've heard of KKK and neo-Nazis and all that. I've never actually seen one. We actually had two turn up in Olympia at the January 6th thing at the governor's mansion. There were two of them and they were legit white supremacists and the conservatives kicked them out. They didn't right. want them there. Um, right. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And, you know, I was trained to see these things. And so if I was seeing it on the right, I wouldn't be aligning with them or hanging out with them for sure. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess shifting gears a bit here, I, I'm just kind of interested. Uh, what are your views on transgenderism in general? Because uh, I guess reading the the article you had written on, uh, um, I guess the what the debacle that happened in uh, Fort Townshed, you seem to basically concur with, uh, I guess, her sentiment that uh, this was an 80 year old trans woman that uh, an 80 year old woman that saw, I guess, a trans a trans female, someone at the penis in their in their lock in their locker room while they were taking a shower naked and thought. Okay, well, there's something wrong with this, and I'm I'm wondering, uh, is is how exactly do you confront this on kind of your own level, uh, excluding kind of a, I guess, Julie's own case. Well, I was always very supportive, and my views changed as I became more educated on the issue, and my views changed in two regards. One knowing that a lot of the older males that transition are autogynophilias, right. have autogynophilia, and that when we as women 
uh, confirm them as women. They get gender euphoria, which is, you know, code for boner. And so we're basically being sexually exploited by, um, you know, playing their game. Uh, but what really got me, what really got me is once I found out the truth about ch children transitioning. Oh, yeah. It's and horrible. a lot of that, yeah, and a lot of that came from reading and hearing the stories of the detransitioners. I listened to them a lot. I, after hearing those stories and learning the truth about the drugs and the operations, there's no way I could support that as a mother, as a human. I don't think you have to be a mother to say this is wrong. Well, I'm truly glad you feel that way because to me, it's it's one of the most brutal things. It's one of the most disgusting things, and I I just don't know what to do to fix it. I really don't. It, we we've got to stand up in this world. I mean, I mean, we're 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 basically we're just throwing the children to the wolves, and we have to, we can't let that happen. Yeah, and seeing parents, and I can understand coming from the left. I can understand how the parents got swept into it. You know, it's a cult. But to see to see a parent like trying to get their children these surgeries, it's it's really hard for me to wrap my head around. I mean, you know, when you're pregnant, you, you worry about taking a Tylenol or you're breastfeeding, you know, having a glass of wine, you know, and you know, organic this, organic that. Right. And now you're going synthetic suddenly when it comes to sex hormones i i don't get how they can square that circle and i i think it's a hill that's worth dying on uh hopefully metaphorically right i think i think this could go two ways one it's going to be it could be self-limiting like other there's been other phases of castration, particularly in history, which were self-limiting because it asked so much of the believers to go along with it. Right. On the other hand, the other way it could go would be that this is just the first round of transhumanism and it's setting the stage for perhaps even more grotesque biological experiments. Um, I hope not, but I think I think that might be the case. I hope not, but I've seen so often with so many of these issues, the, the concept of incrementalism that, you know, you're, you're an inch here, an inch there, an inch, an inch, an inch, and, you know, pretty sure, pretty soon, you know, we've got thousands of girls and, and clinics across the country doing these, and so cheerfully, so, so happily, Yep. Uh, so some little boy uh, plays with a doll and his parents are ready to cut his penis off. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really stunning. I, I don't get it. I mean, I'm, I'm what you'd call gender nonconforming. Um, I, I came up in the eighties during the punk rock era. So we would express ourselves however we wanted. You know, some days I would dress and look like and pass as a man. I would get called, sir, you know, just completely other times, you know, I'd be a woman, you know, and it was not, there was no baggage to it. It was just fun. And 
you know, we didn't have all this this theory and obsession with it. It was right. fun. Well, like and you said, I, it's it's become it's become a cult. Honestly. Yeah, and I wish, and it's so regressive, and so many of the movements. You know, I've worked in in feminism, on women's rights issues, on racial justice issues, on gay issues. And all of them are regressing right now. Everything is going backwards. And it's really hard to watch. And I guess maybe that's just the cycle of history. But man, it doesn't feel good to see. Yeah, I agree. I, I, guess, I guess kind of dovetailing with that, because what I'm kind of interested in is, would you say there's a common denominator in, in regards to kind of the activism you choose to participate in? The activism, a common denominator between what? Oh, uh, among kind of the activism you, I guess, choose to participate in? Um, I think, you know, activism in its purest sense to me is seeing an injustice and taking action around it. And there is still so much injustice in the world that deserves action, real injustice. And I think a lot of the activists in the West are caught up in this like kind of like luxury activism as a lifestyle. And I don't think it's helpful. I don't think it's helpful personally or it's helpful to the world. Right. And, And I don't know, you know, I asked myself, you know, why, why do I care about the culture war so much? Why, why am I really putting everything on the line for the culture war? And I finally had an answer about a month ago. It was like the puzzle slid into place and it's because I'm an artist and culture is my terrain. It is my battlefield. And so that explains why I think I care so much about this. Yeah. That makes sense. I guess there's also kind of the question of uh, kind of the way you kind of, or kind of your foray into it is, uh, is it just kind of seeing uh, an injustice and then you kind of uh, march or you kind of taking a stand on it. And there's also the question of, could you ultimately just be so biased on it? And I, th- I think kind of a lot of this is asked this kind of like in the case of like racism or something where it's considered universally bad and people just kind of go, uh, head over heels to protest this, but is it really that silly of a phenomenon? And is it also, if you're kind of invariably drumming, if you're uh, invariably kind of uh, going against this at, as, as ad nauseum, is this ultimately just going to kind of drum up uh, or kind of create kind of an invisible boogeyman, you know? Oh, definitely. I think the, that when I talk about the luxury of it here, it, it's like they are, in one hand, they're making it a boogeyman, but also they're kind of creating the reactionary forces that will that they then can point to as proof, quote unquote, that it exists. Right. You know, like you attack white people, you attack white people, you attack white people, and you don't expect them to say, "Hey, don't attack me." When and then when white people say that, that scene, oh, white supremacy, it's ridiculous. Or with the trans activists pushing the women to the point where they don't understand what it took for women to be able to set boundaries around their bodies. 
they lack that historical context. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. And, and I think I think that sometimes women become so, so uh, sympathetic um, to other people that they end up they end up letting themselves get walked on. And I think that's what's happening in this case. Oh, definitely. The agreeableness and kindness of of uh, progressive people has been weaponized against them in so many areas. Like I see it on the homeless crisis. You know, that was the first area that I really identified with it, that you you're made to feel guilty if you have a house um, that the street subculture, the people living in the camps are treated as poor homeless victims that just need just need a housing and not as violent criminals. Not all of them are, but a lot of them are violent criminals where, for example, I've interviewed women. It's not if you'll get raped in the camps, it's how many times you'll get raped in the camps. Right. So there's there's this like kind of refusal, this this inability to actually see that there is evil in the world. Yeah, I almost wonder if uh, something kind of similar happens with the, uh, like when you hear about, I guess, Black Bloc or Antifa, whenever somebody uh, kind of like, <laughs> I guess, kind of uh, uh, makes or calls them out, uh, you'll immediately hear kind of left wings as kind of their neat reaction is, oh, well, they're anti-fascist, so you can't, uh, <laughs> that just shows that you're a fascist, or they'll say something like, uh, well, oh, you don't, well, these are just like left wing activists, and you're just kind of blowing out of proportion. It's that they really are just totally oblivious to it, and maybe it's just kind of their own kind of uh I don't know, heard, heard kind of instinct of just defending their group at nauseum and just being oblivious to any criticism or any kind of warranted criticism that that group uh, might, might receive. Well, the, the irony is, is they call themselves anti-fascists while using Nazi brown shirt type tactics to silence people the way they did in Port Townsend. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, um, it was very East German, the disinformation campaign about me, you know, flyers being posted around downtown. You know, I went to a bar to see bands and I was thrown out of the bar for being a white supremacist. Wow. Um, that's, cra that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's stuff that, okay, it's a minor thing. I was denied service at a bar, whatever. But it's also a huge thing. Like, Wow. I was denied service based on lies right. that were spread about me. Like, wow, you know, it's it's a shocking thing to have happen to you. Yeah, they want they want to demonize you, so that oh. you, can, you, you so you can't function in normal ways. Just go to a bar and, and enjoy a band. You can't do that because because all the all the sheep are listening to the propaganda by, by people like Antifa. Well, and, and I definitely was a case of, of a manufactured enemy. Miguel Laughlin, he, he was trying to start his little Antifa media empire, so he had to have news to report. So he would take me or like some of the other streamers or some of the cops and turn them into white supremacists on the flimsiest of pretenses. And so then he'd have enemies to put, you know, to report on. Um, right. it, it, it was completely fabricated. <laughs> I think I yeah. know who he is. Miguel Laughlin. How do you suppose his last name? L A U L O 
L-O-F-L-A-N-D. Yeah, and he, he called and harassed uh, Andy No. Andy No put out one of his death threat tapes. I'm like, caller number three, that's Miguel Laughlin. <laughs> oh, I know, this, his, I, know, I know who this little scumbag is. Yeah, yeah. He And, you know, he's a sad case where he was indoctrinated. He was a sweet little nature-loving, book-loving kid from Utah or Colorado. I forget which. He came to Evergreen, and you watched his Instagram over time as he became, you know, revolutionary comrade Miguel, uh, Captain Antifa. He called himself Captain Antifa. That's not me mocking him. Right. <laughs> Captain Antifa. Um, yeah, yeah. Thinks right? he's a comic book hero. <laughs> right, right. There's a lot of savior complex on on the on the left. A lot of savior complex. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, to me, is is are they trying to save other people, or are they just trying to make themselves feel like heroes? I call it. There's a lot of. I think more. I call it moral masturbation, and. I, I, again, first really noticed it with the homeless issue is that people would basically give offerings to relieve their guilt over having nice things or being housed. So they basically tithe, you know, here's some socks, here's some canned goods. I can feel good. I checked the box helping the homeless. I am a good person. <laughs> right. Right. And I think a lot of what all these cult things mainstreaming are that you're told you will, this is what a good person thinks and believes. And it on the surface, when you first hear the concepts, you know, well, yeah, shouldn't we all be kind? Of course we should be kind. But then when being kind, you know, involves having uh, an erect penis in your changing room. Right. That's yeah. the incrementalism. Now, okay, I'm, I've got to be kind to that erect penis. Okay. Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm on your side. To be honest with you, I'm a man. I don't want an erect penis in my changing room. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, and I'm curious how men, like... You don't see the same issue on men, like men complaining about women in the locker rooms or... Oh, we don't care. Yeah. Yeah, it's not the same. We don't Although, care. Although, I remember when women sportscasters were first, though, getting access to locker rooms, you know, sports teams, and that was a thing. Yeah. If, they... some, if some woman wants to see me naked, she's, she's more than happy to. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care. I, believe yeah. me, it's not, it's not an issue, I promise. There was <laughs> I remember they really that. want. If they really want to see me naked. They don't have to sneak around to do it. But all they do is ask. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna. Yeah. I, I was gonna say just kind of you, you touched on this a bit, little bit, but just hearkening back to it, and this kind of goes my own politics. But uh, do you ever think that uh, kind of like a lot of leftism is just uh, really conducive to this kind of like moral, kind of sanctimonious uh, kind of mindset of uh, we we have empathy for these people, and that's that's where they that's a. I don't know if you want to say that's a first principle and that's kind of what they go to. But uh, if you look at a lot of these movements, uh, ultimately, I guess, devolve into, it's just a, just kind of like the sanctimonious, like we need to do this. We need to help these people. And that uh, a lot of left-wing activism ultimately comes a dud. Or I'm wondering, would you, what, what would your take on something like that be? Well, it is, it's like a secular religion. And as an atheist, um, you know, once I started realizing like this is a cult and I'm in it and I didn't even know I was in it. And 
you know, once I started realizing that, I was like, wow, wow, you know, because it fulfills so many functions that religion does. Um, so that was a real, real shocker to me to, to think as a very staunch atheist. And, and ironically, it actually gave me also a greater appreciation for religion and the role it plays in people's lives. <laughs> the, the, you know, the, there are secular cults. There was one called Nexium. I don't know if you oh, heard about that, but yeah. yes, I have that yeah, one. And then yeah. there was, uh, and then there was that guy Bikram, a uh, Bikram Yoga, the the Indian guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's, I there, there's secular secular cults out there. They're not all religious. Y yeah, and only thing that like this one doesn't really have are the leaders although there are kind of like figureheads like Robin D'Angelo or Kendi that are thought leaders but like all of this enforcement is you know kind of grassroots and it's social and a, a real turning point for me was someone I you know I was a punk rocker I never really censored myself I always spoke freely and did contentious artwork and at one point, and this was around 2017, I made a list of all the things that I didn't feel I could speak freely about. And it was like 35 or 40 uh, items long. I'm like, wow. And so I resolved that I'm not going to censor anymore. I didn't even realize how much I was self-censoring. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I've paid a heavy price. I've been fully canceled. I have relatives that have cut off relations. You know, the classic lost my friends, lost my communities. Wow. Um, you know, I, I've been under physical attack now and, and the intimidation. So, I mean, the punishments are real. And when I was learning about it, like, reading um, accounts from ex-Scientologists and ex-Mormons helped me make a lot of sense of it too because those are other other religions where you know if you if you're a heretic and you leave you know you're cut off you're yeah well even even the Amish the Amish do that to you they shun you yeah 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 the the shunning and and then seeing, you know, like once you see it, it's hard to unsee. And, you know, you, I want to be careful with bias and connecting dots that aren't there. But you see the religious objects, the rituals, the chants, um, you know, in poor towns and the trans woman is woman chant. It was. Oh, my God. It was ridiculous. We, It was drowning everything out. It was, it, was so just, it, was a, it was a mantra that they just kept saying over and over and over and over again. Yeah. yeah. And. And the brick wall worked acoustically to amplify it. It felt like there was a stadium, like I was in a stadium. Wow. And yeah. and it's hard to describe or put into words that particular feeling of just hearing that being chanted at full volume surrounding you. Like, it wasn't scary. It was disconcerting weird yeah oh, i'm sure i'm sure it was very intense yeah i was i was gonna say uh really quickly it's kind of the secular religious part and i think all three of us are atheists but uh one of the things that i found really jarring is kind of looking at a lot of like uh intel what i would call just incredibly uh, intelligent liberals who went to some of the best schools that uh you would hear them talk about stuff and they very much had kind of an anti-racist mindset where 
they would kind of talk about how white supremacy is this kind of a all encompassing, just very palpable force and that we need to recognize this. And then when you push back on it, you're viewed as some sort of heretic. And to me, this kind of became like, this is like the original sin in a way. And this is like the thing that transcends everything and just really kind of uh, transcends reason at the very least. And a lot of these people also just have no problem taking snipes at religion. And my, my main conclusion with all of it is obviously the jarring aspect of maybe the hypocrisy, but it's also like a, you know, maybe religion, maybe religion, we're, we're built to believe in something and we need kind of like deeper meaning. And a lot of people, if they do it kind of societal ways, they'll try to do it in kind of like social activism, which is ultimately just going to be them uh, devolve into them having some sort of weird hero complex. But so uh, you're saying you're saying trading in religious beliefs for a secular version. Yeah, I think a lot of people I, I think I don't know if this is quite your when you said the appreciating of it, but my, my view on I, I think that we're probably built to believe in God and we're probably just maniacs and the people who just totally repudiate religion will, I guess, not not recognizing any of the good that it that it uh, has accomplished or typically uh, does or is seen to do that they're typically the ones that'll go head over heels and kind of this weird activism stuff or activism such that it really transcends reason and you can't push back against it unless you want to be called a heretic by them. I, I thought you ladies were going to get hurt. I really did. Yeah, it's. I think. I think it. Religion seems to. We have evolved to need some sort of operating system, to organize. You know the meaning around, and and I think activism definitely fulfills those criteria. You know, you you are given a purpose. You're given enemies. You're given goals to work toward you know, ways for you to purify yourself, ways to defile yourself. Yep. Uh, the, the one problem I have seen with the, the, the cult is there's no method for redemption. There's right. no. Right. It's like, a, it's like with, with the, um, God, what's the, I think she's also from Washington or Oregon or one of those states, or that's where she did a professor, but the one who wrote the anti-racist book, racist book. And when, if you're white, you can't, you're always going to be racist on some level. So you have to keep trying to repudiate your race. Are, are, you, are you talking about uh, white fragility? Yeah, white fragility. I'm, I'm forgetting yeah. the name. I'm sure you, you know. I, I can't, I can't, I can't think of the woman's name, but yeah. I but know kind of, the, kind of there. It's there really is no redemption. It's just that you're, you're permanently evil. You're evil, and that's it. You're the devil. Yeah. Well, you have to, you have to, uh, can make a concerted uh, effort to kind of a uh, stymie your evilness. So that's. I, I just, I just don't think that the, there's any. I don't think there's any uh, good in demonizing any group. No, no, except. Although I think I think one of the things in the be kind, another fallout from the be kind is that we're not allowed to be judgmental anymore. And I don't mean being overly judgmental. You know, I'm very libertarian. I, I'm, 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 judgmental. I'm judgmental as hell. But but I think there's some things we need to be judgmental about and there needs to be stigma around. Um, you know, obviously pedophile should be one of those. And I think kink, I think some of the kink out there is, is like, uh, no, I, I don't need to accept that. And, right. and, and I see it with, with the homeless encampments here too. Like I am not going to demonize any individual substance abuser, but I think there should be some stigma around, around uh, hard substance abuse. And I can see, like, for my generation coming up, 
there was a stigma around it and that protected us. Like right. we, we didn't our you know, like heroin wasn't in our circle. Like if you took heroin, you would have been really like, Whoa, dude, what the fuck? Oh, sorry. Right. Yeah, no, um, no, 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 you're fine. I, and, I, I was told I was telling brighter later this. I, you know, that the, the reason I smoked a little marijuana when I was in my late teens and early twenties, and of course I drank alcohol. I, I haven't done any. I haven't smoked marijuana since 1992, and I haven't drank alcohol since 1999. But I, I, I'm not saying I didn't ever do those things. But I would never have used crack cocaine or or heroin or meth or anything like that, simply because it had a bad stigma. And part of that was is that it was illegal. Yeah, and, and I I think like you know putting a small time user in prison isn't always helpful. But when I was interviewing a lot of people about like what was successful getting them out of the camps, what helped turn their life around, story after story after story involved law enforcement and and having some time in jail or getting sent to drug court. And like, it's an uncomfortable thing for someone from the left to hear because it goes against your values. But if you really want to listen to the population and hear what they're saying, that's one of the things they're saying. And, um, you know, you can't deny it. You can't, you know, it's their lived experience. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, did you... So I, th I think this is probably a good spot to wrap it up, uh, unless okay. unless you had something else you'd like to talk about. Can I ask? Uh, a, I'm sorry to interject. I was good. I just had one more question before we wrap it up. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was wondering, would you say that kind of your, I guess, when you were, uh, to the extent, that, I guess you seemed pretty uh, uh, deep into activism. Would you say that you were ultimately kind of exhibiting a lot of the same kind of irrational kind of things or doing a lot of the same irrational things that uh, you recognize on the left now? Or would you say that uh, you were more or less impervious to it maybe because you kind of had like a anti like a, I don't know, a contrarian mindset all around or kind of like a punk rockian kind of contrarian mindset all around? Or how would you kind of, uh, I guess, reanalyze your own kind of a uh, leftivism or when you were kind of more into kind of leftist uh, activism? I don't think, you know, I never got extreme, but I'm not innocent. Um, after Trump was elected, I convened a support group for uh, us to process our emotions. No white men allowed. Thank you. Safety first. Um, or another example, I was on the PTA and we were having a, a tropical party event. Well, let, me, like, let me ask let me ask you this before you continue. Why uh -huh. would it be why would it be just white men? I, think uh, I know. See, that's the irrational thing that like that, you know, it just could be women, trans people, queer people, because right. white men just surely wouldn't get our complex feelings. <laughs> right. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. And then uh, the PTA thing, we were having a tropical theme party and I'm like, well, we can't have any images of hula dancers because that's somebody's religion and it might be offensive. You, um, you know, the ironic thing is that the the liberal white left, they're they're offended by all these things. The actual people are not offended at all. The, the Hawaiians are not offended. The Native Americans are not offended by by uh, most Native Americans at Poland well, are, not, yeah. are not offended by teams named after their tribe. I, I don't understand being offended on, on the behalf of other people that aren't offended. It's so strange to me. Right, right. Um, 
But then, you know, it was really the niggling of my moral compass that got me out. You know, at first I thought I was just running into individuals that were being jerks and like these are toxic individuals. Then it kind of is council culture more fully formed. I realized, whoa, wow, these are the tactics the leftists are using. You know, I don't agree with these tactics. But, you know, it's the tactics. And then it took me the next step was finally seeing that while, you know, the bigger unifying principles that I've talked about, like weaponizing kindness, emotional manipulation, intimidation, I started to see that they were baked into the ideology itself. And I just, you know, my moral compass just couldn't go along with these things. It's just not who I am or what I want to be in the world. And and you know what, Candace? It's never too late. It's never too late to 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 change your mind on things. No, no. And I think, um, you know, and like with the trans issue, like I said, getting more information. You know, it's sold to you. You know, Scott Nugent calls it uh, rainbow for. Glitter rainbows and unicorn farts, or something that it's all, you know, top surgery and bottom surgery, and you know, it's all cutesy and it, it obscures the reality. Right. And once you see the reality, and I think once people get educated to these very realities, I mean, I see. I see it changing, you know, as more and people, more people are victims of crime, they're getting more and more upset. Um, as more more parents, you know, kids are getting swept into this, they're getting more upset. So there's a backlash of brewing, and you know, I don't want it to go too far, but I I think there should be protections. I agree. I completely agree. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think I think that was it. It wasn't. Or did you yeah. have anything else you'd like to ask prior or later? Yeah. Thank you for having me on. It was a very pleasant conversation. Yeah. If you have anything else you'd like to talk about before we leave, you're welcome to. Um, you know, I could go on. <laughs> well, let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. You can always come back on. Okay. Yeah. And I think if, if listeners wanted to to read my stuff, I have a sub stack under Candace Mercer. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna put your I'm gonna put your links. I'm, I'll, do me a favor. You've got my email. Give yeah. me email me your all your links that you'd like to add to the description of this. And when I when I post this this podcast, it's probably not going to post until what is it? Uh, it's not going to post until maybe Wednesday or Thursday of next week. Okay. So so email get get together the links you want me to put in the description, and I'll put the links. And that way, when people listen to the podcast, they'll be able to see the links and they'll be able to click on the links. Cool, cool. Yeah, because I've been writing a lot on the homeless crisis, political violence up here. Um, I'm going to be writing on Port Townsend. I'm going up on the 3rd, hopefully, so I'll have more reporting from that event. And I'm also working on a series on um, chronic pain and opiates. <laughs> right. I, I have a, <clears throat> excuse me, I had a really, really contentious conversation with Chief, with Chief Olson. Because I wanted to hear his side of the side of the situation, and he was not interested in giving an interview. He was very upset. He was very upset that I contacted him. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that that's too bad. <laughs> yeah, it is what it is. It is okay. what it is. Radical acceptance, man. Right? With you doing this work, 
if you're doing this work, all you can do is have radical acceptance and have a strong spine and a sense of self. And um, I, I, you know, I want to be careful in myself that I don't become the self-righteous person. Uh, like it's, hard, it's hard to not feel self-righteous, though, about protecting children in this way that, yes, this is the right side to be on. And, and I urge other people to, to speak up as much as they can, as much as they feel comfortable. And it can be, you know, it doesn't have to be a big thing. It can just be having the information so that you can just discuss it. You know, you're having coffee with a friend and the topic comes up and you can just plant a couple seeds in their mind that get them thinking. I mean, right. that's how you change minds. It's not by force. You can't brute force change somebody's opinion. But you can plant those seeds that that provoke cognitive dissonance that make them have to either square the circle or say this peg doesn't fit in the hole. I don't know if I'm mixing metaphors here, but you know, <laughs> you know, get them right. get them thinking about their beliefs and the inconsistencies in them. That that's a really common denominator. I I read about getting people out of cult situations is is you meet them with grace and you just give them things to think about right yeah you meet them with kindness and you, you don't come from a mean-spirited uh position and you yep. give them you, you you make them think yep yep okay and... well I, I really appreciate you coming on the show uh you are welcome to come back on again if you have if you know just contact me let me know what you'd like to talk about um and uh other than that i, I really appreciate it I really right. appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. We've had a really good conversation, I think. Thank you. Yeah. And maybe I'll have something to report after the third. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I'm going to email you because I'm kind of curious about that. So I'll, I'll email you about it. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Thank you, Candace. You have a great day. You too. Thank you, guys. No problem. Take care. Okay. This is the Conservative Atheist Podcast. I was joined by my co-host <laughs> and producer, Brighter Later. And uh, we had our guest, uh, Candace, and she was uh, talking to Candace Mercer, and she was talking about the situation in Port Townsend and also Olympia, Washington as well. Um, so we drop a podcast Monday through Friday. Uh, so Sunday night going into Monday after 12 a.m. Uh, again, Monday through Friday, five days a week. The podcast can last anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half, two hours, two and a half hours, and maybe even three hours one time. Uh, it all depends on the guests and all depends on the subject matter. Uh, we really don't know until we start it. You never know what direction it's going to go in. It's a free flowing conversation. So if you're interested in this topic and you like the different things you've heard from our podcast, please feel free to uh, subscribe so you can hear future content. We've got a lot of interesting interviews coming up in the future. Uh, I don't want to, I don't want to, well, we've got a really, really interesting interview that's going to come out Tuesday, but I don't want to, I'll, I'll, I'll get, I'll, I'll tell you what it's going to be on Monday. I think I'll give you a hint on Monday. So I'll, I'll you know, I don't want to, I don't want to drop the news too quick, but it's going to be a huge interview. Um, and until then, when you're going to sleep at night and you're looking up at the ceiling and you feel yourself drifting off to sleep, I want you to repeat over and over again. Conservative atheist is always right. Conservative atheist is always right. Conservative atheist is always right conservative atheist is always right and in the morning you're going to feel refreshed you're going to feel renewed 
you're gonna the the flowers are gonna smell sweeter, the birds are gonna sing louder, the sun is gonna shine brighter, and the the air is gonna feel crisper and and a nice warm breeze as well. And all will be right with the world. And if it's not, then that means that you knuckleheads aren't listening to enough conservative atheist podcast. So you need to subscribe and listen to all the podcasts. That way you'll have that magic. Okay, you knuckleheads. I will talk to you another time. Thanks for listening.